0: edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And if you have any questions or comments for us, you can always send them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com, or you can leave them in the comment section of Podbean. And this is episode number 181. And we have some interesting news today. It's actually not very good news. Um, As you know, there's a guy in the firearms industry, high-profile guy on YouTube and has been on television and, and, uh, you know, like the outdoor channel and all that. His name is Larry Vickers. He is a former um, Army Special Forces and Delta Force Operator who has become a a preeminent firearms trainer and a guy who you know and and I don't blame him for this but he's trading on his background you know I mean he's you know the the first thing you you hear is is his resume so um, he he sells his resume very very effectively Uh, he's about 60 years old now I think and I know he just had a uh, battle with lymphoma which I, I guess he successfully conquered I mean it's it's one of those things there's no such thing as a mild form of cancer so i'm thinking that he has basically overcome that and it's been been probably a challenge well of course um some months ago the atf went and raided his i guess i don't know residence or shop or someplace and a lot of his guns were confiscated um, you know, for what reasons, I don't know. I know he had a, he first came to prominence as a gunsmith, so he is, you know, kind of a guy with one of those, you know, 07 FFL, can, you know, manufacture machine guns for, you know, law enforcement or military trials and use, and all the rest of this. So he's he's kind of in this labyrinth of, you know, the class three stuff, which is, you know, something that, as we'll find out, it's maybe a little wiser to stay away from. So, um, anyway, he was was all into all this. Well, apparently they built a case, and what they have, what he has pleaded apparently guilty to was um, basically talking to two law enforcement chiefs of police from tiny departments getting false letters they they have to get a permission like a like an authorization letter to procure and demonstrate um, machine guns for law enforcement that's kinda how that works and so they can they can do that and then as they can keep them I suppose as long as they you know maintain their 07 SOT license so um, anyway, uh, he was busted for conspiracy that these guys wrote the letters but had no I, no, um, no intention of having the weapons demonstrated to them. Seems very strange to me, but why wouldn't you just demonstrate them and they could say, hey, well, think about it and then you're, you're good to go. But I don't know. He didn't do that. What really got him was... Importing apparently illegal AK-12 parts kits that originated at the Kalishnikov concern in Russia. Uh, now, how they got into the country, what what roundabout way they took, where they where they were imported from, all that and I have no idea. And I have no idea as to the veracity of these charges, whether they were good. I know that you know because somebody pleads guilty does not necessarily mean that they are guilty. Um, because the the entire government mobilizes against you. And, you know, you can either plead guilty, take the medicine, and hope for leniency. Or they can just bankrupt you and just destroy your life, take everything from you. in, in uh, Because the legal battle would be immense. So I'm not, I, I don't know where the guilt or innocence is. I don't know if these were actual infractions of the law. I don't know. If there are things that uh, other people get away with, uh, I don't know. I just simply don't know. And um, so I think it's a, you know, commenting, I'm not commenting on that case. And I'm certainly not a legal expert because I have no legal training whatsoever. But anyway, this is a very, very, it's a very bad thing for him personally, because frankly, I've never met the guy. I don't know him. I've never seen him. I've never talked to him. I've never communicated with him in any way. but I always kind of liked him. I thought his you know he he has a good presence on uh, um, on video. you know he can talk cogently. Uh, he makes he makes persuasive arguments. He's you know he's kind of to the point, very, very good um, um, a, a good media personality. So I've always kind of liked him for that. Uh, some people say he's pompous. I do not know, don't see any evidence of that. So I kind of discount that. But, um, you know, it, it's one of those things of, <laughs> I, I hate to Monday morning quarterback and I'm not trying to poop on what was done by the individuals. And there were several other, and there were the two chiefs of police and a couple other people who were involved in this. Um, trying not to poop on them i would just say though that you know to me and i'm not necessarily the smartest person in the world but anything having to do with russia is nuclear right now i mean you may as well walk into the reactor room at chernobyl because you're going to get nuked you're going to get extremely extremely um scrutinized everything that has to do with russia and i mean it started in 2014 kind of abated a little bit because people said okay they got the crimea you know the, then the so what factor kind of kicked in but with the start of the ukraine war every, you know russia has been cut off from the international banking system the international airline system you know all these things it, it's kind of become almost north korea-like um, as far as getting in and out of the place, and I know people who are Russian who've done it. They, you know, they they fly to you know places in kind of unlikely places, and then they can catch a flight into Russia. You know, so you know if you're in Africa, you can go to Turkey, and then from Turkey to to uh, inside of Russia, or from Belgrade to inside of Russia. You you can do that, but there's a lot of places. Um, You know, you can't take you can't get any money the the ATMs there don't work anymore. You know, a lot of things are not the way they were, say, in 2019, 2020 and 2021. They're just not working that way anymore. So uh, dealing with Russia is is something that's going to get you scrutiny. There's so many sanctions and import laws and everything else. Uh, You're just not going to be able to to do it. So, you know, that's a huge thing um the foolish part about it is the ak-12 is not a great groundbreaking weapon and that's what these parts kits that he allegedly got were you know you got to realize what a parts kit is nowadays a parts kit does not have the barrel the barrel's cut that's just international rules now the barrel's cut So you have to have a new barrel. It's going to be made in the USA. That's just the way it is. Um, You're going to have to get a new receiver because the receiver has to be torch cut in three or four places. Uh, So you have to get a new receiver. And, you know, so I kind of look at it. Hey, when you add up the rest of the bits, it probably would have been smarter to go to Poland and say, show them them the, the plans and say, can you make this? And they could have probably made the missing bits and parts that it that it needed Um, or you could actually set up production here and build build your own you know I mean you know the answer to international gun laws and to arbitrary executive orders banning imports the answer to all that is domestic production if we were making some of our own stuff we could just you could thumb your nose say okay stop importing it yeah no problem we got a factory here that's turning it out so to risk your your firearms your freedom your reputation and everything to try to score some bucks on some dopey parts kits and and frankly i call them dopey parts kits because they do nothing for me i mean the AK-12 is kind of an upgraded AK-74. It's it's like, so what? I realize the cool kids have to have the latest and greatest. The cool kids have to have, you know, all the other stuff. But they, they could have easily fabricated a very, very good clone of this and not run into any trouble at all. Not run into any trouble at all. They still could hype it. They could still do it. It's It would have been fairly easy. Because, face it, since you got to do the receiver and barrel anyway, what else is there? I mean, some plastic parts, for the, you know, the stocks and all the rest of the, that That kind of stuff was all doable. I realize it's easier just to buy it in a couple of big crates that uh, originate in Russia and kind of go through third countries or fourth countries and, and uh, get here. But, you know, you really don't want to be messing with Feds. You really do not want to be messing with the Feds. And, uh, you know, the other thing is, I don't know how they got all this information. I assume they got one guy, and I don't know which, which one it was, was, obviously. But somebody probably turned on the rest, and then they started turning on each other, saying, yeah, I can get a better deal if I cooperate, and I'll tell you everything I know. And the Feds do that, too. You know, they divide and conquer. So everybody gets to roll on, you know, whoever rolls first probably gets the best deal, then the rest of the gut people get the, get something else. So they probably got them to roll on all that and uh, basically rat out each other. Um, meanwhile, in real America, cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, You can even throw San Francisco and some of these other places in it are becoming increasingly dangerous and no one is doing anything about it except defund, trying to defund police or corral the police to the point where they can't do this and they can't do their job. And then prosecutors, mostly backed by Soros and those types of people, are are letting the crooks loose. I mean, why waste time with Larry Vickers? Why waste time with all this? It's, it's, it absolutely makes no sense. But it happens. And, um, you know, there's, if you really want to get into all the weeds on this, you can go to AR15.com or you can just Google Larry Vickers um, arrested. And the AR15.com link will come up and you can you can go ahead and go into there and and read all the specifics. But, yeah, it's 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 bad, you know, and you break the law. Now, I I totally agree with the, uh, the, the, you know, the I totally agree. The Federal Firearms Act of 1934 is unconstitutional. Unfortunately, I could live by that. But when I'm caught, I'd have to pay the price. You have to pay the price on that. And uh that's not something that I'm really willing to do. um the other thing is sometimes we have to back off just sometimes you have to back off just a step. um the latest and greatest and greatest uh may you know if you're risking your freedom, risking everything, does it what is' a k twelve really worth that? you know I would say no I, I would say take a step back take a deep breath, go buy a real rifle like an M1 Garand and have a great, great afternoon, you know, have and shoot the thing for months and have a great time. That's what I would say. I would say at a certain point, take, just take the step back and breathe. You don't need the latest and greatest military rifle. And, you know, I do the same. I I was told you I would talk about those you know, the, the post-dealer sample, class three weapons, um, you know, those are quagmire, legal quagmire. And I know people think they've got it all figured out, but the ATF and the federal government in general are so capricious and they are so flighty and so mercurial that literally just like bump stocks, just like pistol braces, something that's legal today can be arbitrarily made illegal tomorrow and then the court says, no, it's legal again, and then, well, then higher court says, no, it's illegal again and I mean, you can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth it is it, it is ridiculous when you're on the edge understand the edge can sometimes change, you know, sometimes you may think you're on solid ground but then they change the rules and, and you're out in the open. And that's happened time and time. That's happened so many times over the last 30, 40 years with, with firearms. Things that the BATF says, well, it's okay. Then it's not okay. And they come after people. Don't think for a minute that these companies, and Gun Broker is one of them, and all these distribution companies that sell parts, kits, and things. Hey, they cooperate with the feds. So if you bought one of these things, they are not going to keep you confidential. Anybody who wants it, just like Liberty Safe with the combination of your safe, um, they give it up right away because they don't want to hassle with the feds. They said, we don't care. We'll give it to you. And so they get a list of all these people. Uh, the same thing happened with those I don't want to call those oil filter blanks that could be converted, could be manufactured into a silencer. Um, people who bought those got a visit. And uh, maybe not everybody, but there were there were a lot of stories that people got a visit. And it said, what are you doing with this thing? Where is it? What are you doing with it? Well, you don't really have to tell them. But if you've made it into a, a silencer without doing the proper paperwork, um, you're in trouble and you can lose everything. You know, is it really worth it? I think it's better just to go through the process. I I hate the process. I've got three SBRs and I hated the process of going through. You know, you fill the stuff out. The $200 isn't a big deal, but you pay them, then you gotta wait four or five months for this thing to come back. And if you buy the barrel, you have to keep it separate locations so that they don't, you know. There's all this kind of stuff that swirls around this. Then you finally get it built, and you're good. And but you got to keep this paperwork with you. If you want to cross a state line, you got to get permission from the ATF. All kinds of things that go with that. Um, and and you know that's simple. That's an SBR. Some of these other things are not simple. Um. So I would be very careful. I, I just, I hate to say, because I know this can be misconstrued as being, being kind of perhaps overly cautious or, or overly, you know, old-fashioned, but, you know, there's a better, if you want an AK-12, shoot, you could buy, you could probably ma- have one manufactured for yourself and have it fairly close. And if there's a real market for these things, I don't think there is. But if there's a real market for them, hey, you know you can turn out the the buttstock furniture and the and the other stuff. I mean, there, there's ways to do that, which just seems to me to be a whole lot safer. The other the other issue is these were five four five by thirty nine weapons, which the ammunition on those is tight. So, um, there you go. Um, You know, you're getting yet, yet again, something, another, another uh, obstacle is, is there. So hopefully we'll get some 545, some sort of a source for that. That's, uh, I think there's, there is some commercial, you know, brass case stuff that was out there, frighteningly expensive, I'm sure. But anyway, um, you know, it just goes to show you, sometimes you, you go over on the edge or you push the envelope and sometimes it it doesn't give way it it gets hard and it actually contracts but i feel sorry for larry vickers i don't think he really i don't think first of all this is not like a great arms swindle this is not like anything like that and and frankly the u.s government is is much worse um if they put vickers in jail um barack obama eric holder And scads of other people should be in jail. Joe Biden, all these people should be in jail. I mean, we're talking about a government that gave weapons to drug cartels in Fast and Furious. Gave them thousands of weapons, thousands of them, that they killed all kinds of people in Mexico with, and they even killed a couple of Border Patrol agents. That happened. Nothing ever happened to that. Compared to what Larry Vickers has allegedly done, it's nothing. Uh, this is the same government that left billions of dollars of advanced equipment in Afghanistan. Nods, sights, rifles, God only knows what else. Um, left billions of dollars there. Armed one of the most repressive bandit regimes in the world. They did it. They gave it to him. This is the same government that just a few months ago gave five billion dollars to the Iranians. Some of the worst people on the planet—the people who bankrolled this October Eighth attack, that where hundreds of Israelis were wiped out. Um, well, a couple thousand Israelis really. Hostages are taken. I mean, gave money to hostage takers. Gave money to hostage takers. And yet, they mobilized the government to go after Larry Vickers, a guy who likes his guns, maybe maybe a little too much, but was just, was no threat to anyone. And it's, it's absolutely evil. It's absolutely evil what our government has done. And what they've done to a man like Vickers and... A lot of people on the the net are they're all well he served his country why can't they give him a break and all that none of that matters believe me one of the things they love doing is if you had any kind of a good military record and you do something wrong they come after you they take away your medals they take away your disability and your retirement and all the rest of it it's it's absolutely criminal what they do but that's the thing with uh, Larry Vickers um, it's a shame it's, it's a crying shame because he's more of an arms historian than he is he's not trying to be an operator he's not trying to outfit his own army you know he wants a an FNFAL that was used in Rhodesia okay so what used in the Bush Wars there um, he wants an AK-12 because it's kind of this state-of-the-art looking thing even though it's just an AK-74 but You know, hey, I mean, that's not the threat to society. But it shows you how our government is motivated and why it is so evil. Now, uh, we've talked about the machinations of, of Larry Vickers enough. Let's talk about gun buying. I predict there's going to be another panic by the war in the Middle East is widening. At a certain point, we will attack, maybe not in a sustained way, but Iran is going to get attacked one way or another. Whether their navy is sunk in the uh, Persian Gulf, whether some of their key facilities are bombed, something is going to happen. When that does, expect global jihad of terrorism going back to like the GWAT days where the humble little person who works in your office could show up one day and start killing people well, that happened in uh, San Bernardino they threw a baby shower for a guy in his I don't know if he was Lebanese or his wife was Saudi, whatever it was they threw a baby shower for him a couple of weeks before and these people came in at the Christmas party and killed them Is that awesome is that awesome that's that kind of stuff is going to happen so people are buying guns especially the Jewish community who has got a big wake up call big wake-up call and we said it last time Israel knows it lives in a tough neighborhood Israel knows who its neighbors are and Jewish people across the world kind of know that hey there's that these ruffians from the Middle East can reach out and touch you so they all have to be careful and it's the same thing be vigilant because you know they're not the only ones being targeted I can tell you that Um, it is going to be you know kind of the same thing get get back get your head on a swivel get your get your rifle and pistol and ammo right now like this week now because In two or three weeks, it could easily be unobtainium again. Because when there's a run on guns, there's a run on ammo, and we all know how that works. It takes sometimes years to get the ammo supply back to normal. Sometimes years. And what are we really looking at? What are we really looking at as a threat? Well, you're looking at terrorism, opportunity. You're also looking at, you know, these pro-palestinian protests you know these these are kind of frightening i didn't think that they had that much support especially among younger people and you can read antifa and some of this other nonsense in it Um, these people are out there and they're just waiting you know maybe they're just tired of you know, inner-city shootings aren't aren't really doing it for them anymore. Um, perhaps they will pick up this mantle of Palestinian rights, and this is going to be and and the problem in the Middle East, which you could spend thousands of hours of podcasting about. Um, yes, there are people caught in the middle. I don't know. I don't know that every Palestinian supports Hamas. Just like every German in World War II did not, I don't know if they all supported Hitler, I, I'd assume they didn't, did all the Japanese support the war effort in World War II? No. But you know what, they're, they're going to pay the price. That's just, that's just the way the world and warfare works. So the people in the Gaza Strip um, are paying a price for the excesses and foolishness of their leadership um and that's just the way it goes that's that's the way the world is so um i would be very very careful um i'd also i'd also take a good strong look at the schools if you got a child who's college age what are these schools teaching do they have these kind of organizations on campus and all the rest of this stuff this is got to stop. I mean, it's got to be corralled. I'm all for free speech, but I'm not for terrorist-supporting cells on every college campus. So, God, it's a fine line, but it's got to be drawn. That has got to be drawn. And, uh, you know, look at, look at we've even got some of these crackpots in our own government. Uh, it's, it's absolutely sickening, but we've got them in our own government and so it'll be an interesting, I don't know it'll ever be solved in our lifetime. Um, I just don't think it'll ever be solved, but this, but the, to get back, you know, get back on track. Yes, you, you are in danger. An elevated state of danger from six months ago. You just are. So I would be very, very careful. And, uh and start doing the things that you need to do to lower your profile, lower your risk. Um, start doing those now and also be prepared to defend yourself. You, you might have to do it. You could get caught in that little time and space place where there is no rule of law because the police have pulled back. And so you can wind up You can wind up there with no one to help you, and it could be around your house. So um, get the stuff now. Get the stuff now. Okay, well, enough doom and gloom and horror and everything else. Let's just get to a few questions and hopefully good answers. And if you have any questions or answers... (laughs) Well, if you have answers, you probably don't need them. Don't need the questions. But if you have any any uh, questions, you can always email them to me. K-B-M-A-K-E-L at AOL.com. Okay. Have you seen... This is our number one question. Have you seen Panzer Arms and Takarev Shotguns? Are they any good? Um, I have seen them. I have not shot them. So so this is a very... Um, and I haven't looked on YouTube to see if anybody else has because I I, I hate doing am I don't like just parroting what, what a YouTuber says. I, I look at them, they, like anything else, when it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, some of those things, they look very AR-like. They look very kind of cool. They're, I notice there's a lot of plastic um, furniture. And it always comes down to reliability. How reliable are they? And the answer is, I'm just not sure. I certainly wouldn't bank my life on one. Now, would I buy one as a... Because a lot of times these things are sub 300 bucks, So they're not that bad. Uh, price-wise, so would you buy one just to have it and, and, you know, play with it? And if it's reliable enough, maybe consider it as a backup for some social emergency use? Yeah, you could do that. You could do that. I think you're a lot better off looking for just a used, um, shotgun. When I look for shotguns, um, and now again, I'm, I'm kind of old fashioned. I like a steel receiver as opposed to an aluminum receiver, but I do have an aluminum receiver pump shotgun that I like. So, um, you know, I like the traditional pump, not the goofy, you know, thing that's got rails all over it and, and, and all that stuff. The simple pump shotgun fills the tactical niche that the shotgun does, which is engaging from 0 to 25 yards. About 0 to 20 meters, the shotgun with buckshot is is an excellent weapon. And you really don't need a fancy, cool platform. You don't need a red dot sight. You don't need a lot of that stuff just to launch that kind of close-range firepower. So that's where I am with the um, Panzer Arms and Talker shot and the other ones like it. I've always been intrigued by the AK style shotguns Uh, just for the reason that a they're AK style so I think they always look very cool and number two I like them I don't know if they're more reliable they seem to be and so I would uh, I would actually think those are pretty cool but again um, as a primary weapon no all right i live in a blue state what is your recommendation for a battle rifle well there's only one recommendation that i would go with and that is an m1 rifle you can get parts for it it's well known it does not have any of the offending features it's got a traditional stock no flash suppressor um, an integral magazine so it's you know that's what it is and so it's very very good uh, I would get one of those. Uh, you can go the lever gun route and all the other things, and that's nothing wrong with those. I would go with an M1 rifle. Um, if you live in a blue state that will allow you an M1 carbine, you might have to use ten-round magazines, you know that kind of thing. But I would, I would use that. I would go with that. Uh, also, those are good, reliable, solid weapons. So I would, I would go with those now. The thing is, M1 Carbine's GI ones are kind of collectible now, so they go for a lot of money, but you can get some of the commercial knockoffs. I understand they're pretty good, so I, I would look at those. I'd look really hard at, at uh, both of those, and uh, you know, if you want to want to top it off and make it complete, go with a, a good revolver um, or a 1911 pistol, and that way you're right at the capacity uh, limits that most of those places have so the next question is what do you think of the smith and wesson chief special j-frame well i know there are a lot of people that don't like it and it gets a lot of criticism i personally think it's excellent for what it's supposed to do provides reasonable firepower close range defense in a small package just that simple Uh, there's a reason they've been around forever and ever and ever there's a reason that the J-Frame is a popular seller today they're not just selling these things to ignoramuses Uh, they are small enough they can be uh, a backup gun if you want but they can be a primary gun and it's a gun that does not have a huge presence or envelope so you can carry it uh, surreptitiously and it's a good thing to have Uh, 38 special is still a good caliber um i would and any 38 ammunition is probably okay i don't like the um 130 grain fmj i don't know why they sell that i I just do not know but they do but i would stay away that's the one i would stay away from i would go with the uh unless you're in a state that of course prohibits everything but if you are um i would go with lead bullets before i would go with that fmj all right can you tell me the pros and cons of restoring an old military rifle I I assume that means restoring it into its service configuration from something else where it has been sporterized quote-unquote modified by a civilian user so what I would say is as long as the as long as the metal has not been cut what I look at is if the metal's been cut, the barrel's been cut, or the receiver's been modified, been modified, been drilled, or contoured, whatever, uh, you're probably done. Uh, you're probably you're, there's no restoring it. Um, but if the metal has not been, you can probably you can still find stocks and and uh, sling swivels and barrel bands and these little bits of parts. You can find these. It may be it may be a hunt I mean you may be looking at eBay for a few months you may be you know there's there's several online retailers I, I don't want to mention them because I won't I will never mention them all but you can do some internet searching and you can find those you can also look at local gun shows you might find something uh, and if you do you know you just kind of piece it all together and while it'll never be original it will be in military configuration which is a win. Because most of these rifles, when they're not in military configuration, they are not a win. So that's uh, that's it. And you will you will wind up spending money um, buying one of those rifles and thing you can thinking you can restore it on the cheap. Never happens. It's been my experience that you will spend all told at the end of the day, the rifle you've restored is probably as expensive expensive as if you had purchased one of those rifles in the condition you wanted in service condition but you get the satisfaction of having done the work yourself and having brought something back from the dead and that is very cool and a lot of those rifles are still really good shooters and things so you know it's a it's a very cool it's a commendable thing to do it brings back an old military gun um, to a semblance of its former glory and it can provide you with a pretty good shooter so they're both worthwhile things to do okay another one how do you sport forgeries either guns and or holsters or other items well number one I, I spot them by, by the price because nobody forges anything unless they're going to make money on it and a lot of times it is it is really childish nonsense you know stamping an SS death head on something um some kind of goofball grips they'll put on a like a Luger P38 and some of these other things now the more sophisticated ones will take a common ordinary run-of-the-mill Luger and they'll expunge marks from it and add other marks that would make it seemingly a more valuable variant of the P08 Luger but um, you know that's that's getting harder and harder to do because there's so much information on the internet and in books so the, you know the same thing with holsters i you know usually you can tell an old holster just the there's certain wear that they cannot fake and so but i would be very careful because you know they've been making repro german holsters for 50 or 60 years now and of course those are going to look you know if a reenactor's taken them out you know every weekend for 20 years and has gotten them in the rain and everything um they're going to look pretty authentic so you have to be very very careful and know the markings and and all that that's not something you just dive into with your wallet out in front of you like somebody giving the heisman you know like hey just you know take my money please um you really have to study and know know what you're looking at and know what you're buying that's the best way to avoid forgeries and if something looks too good to be true and is priced too good to be true i'd be very careful very careful um, so much militaria now is being um, you know made in china and other places it's 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 absolutely astounding so there you are next question were the weapons in the movie zulu with Michael Caine and Stanley Baker were they accurate to the time period um, that's an interesting question and I'll attempt to, to answer it as best I can um, I have read and, and I think I've actually seen it when I've watched the movie I've watched the movie a bunch of times I, I enjoy it it's it's kind of a good movie um, It's a 1960s movie, so you have guys, when they're shot, they're throwing their arms up in the air and screaming, ah, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, you got to realize the time frame it was made. It was made as a tribute to the 2nd Company, I I guess, uh, no, B Company 2nd Battalion um, of the 24th Infantry of Foot, later known as the South Wales Borderers. Um, it was also made as a tribute to the Zulus. Um, so it, it showed that, that both sides were, were militarily very competent. And it shows the action at Rourke's Drift, where the uh, British garrison was besieged and managed to successfully defend itself. Now, uh, a lot of people who've watched the movie have said, hey, sometimes in the, you know, volley scenes, they've seen like Long Lee rifles in the background and and things like that. I, I think I've seen that once or twice. There's a couple of, but you really have to be looking for it. Um, if you watch the movie, last time I watched it, I watched it simply for its entertainment effect, and I didn't see anything that was, you know, egregiously out of place. The most out of place thing that that is in there, and it's not really a big deal, is that the uh, revolvers that Stanley Baker and Michael Caine use um, are World War One vintage Webleys and not the early, I think, Beaumont Adams or whatever that would have been there in 1879. But the bottom line is a large caliber British revolver, um, British military revolver. So it's, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I think that, uh, you know, in, in 1964, you know, which is now 60 years ago almost, um, you know, they they didn't have access to some of these weapons, so they had to use the next best thing. And also, you know, the absolute granular accuracy of which weapon is which wasn't, you know, wasn't done then the way it is now. If they were redoing the movie now, they would have had some sort of mock-up pistol and, you know... As long as they keep it out of Alec Baldwin's hands, I think it would be fine. So, you know, the the actual matter is that, yes, it was fine. The bayonets were, I believe, the correct style bayonets. And I'm sure that there's some later models of the Martini Henry rifle in there, especially in the background. Um, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it really doesn't affect the um, the movie, you know. Uh, you know, now, there are Hollywood movies that are comical. There's one I was watching. was about... It took place in the Mexican Revolution and, you know, early 1900s. And they actually, the Mexicans, were using M1 Garand rifles that were kind of modded up to look somewhat different. Um, yeah, that was pretty hokey, but, but it does happen. There's also... Um, a lot of television shows where they have weapons from a later time or, or period incorrect weapons or weapons that never would have been, you know, where they, where the story places them. So, but to get back to it, the movie Zulu is largely accurate and, uh, you know, not a bad effort as far as the authenticity of the weapons go. Okay. Next one. Did the toy company Mattel ever make M-16 parts during the Vietnam War. This is one of those myths that, um, you know, gun myths that people talk about. And during the Vietnam War, Mattel made a toy called the M-16 Marauder, which looked like an M-16. It looked like an M-16 enough that they were used in the background of John Wayne and the Green Berets in 1967, I think, and it was a, it was just, a, it was a toy gun, and it was just proportionate enough so that they could use it as a movie prop. In fact, in the movie, uh, there's a scene where John Wayne smashes an M16 up against a tree, and it's actually one of these Mattel Marauders. You know, they, they have the, <clears throat> they took the film and they made stills out of it, and you can see clearly what it was. So the they had a little ditty that went with it. It was the M16, the M16, the greatest rifle you've ever seen. That was the Mattel TV commercial. I know because man, I wanted one really bad. I wanted one super bad. But never I never got it. I had to I had to buy my own SP1, you know, like a decade plus later. So anyway, um the Mattel company never made weapons parts and the reason we know this in spite of all the apocryphal stories and anecdotal stories that um, I had one in Vietnam it was clearly marked Mattel blah 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 you hear that you hear that occasionally not as much as you used to but you you hear it occasionally Mattel never had a department of defense um, you know supplier code there was never a contract all the things that would have gone with them making these parts, just doesn't exist. And you can find it for any other company that, that did that. So we, we know just from the archival records that they never did that. Plus, no one's people have claimed to have seen them. People have claimed to have used them, been issued them. But no one can provide, through any kind of a source, any M16 part marked Mattel. No one's ever seen it. So it's it's just simply not there. Now, I will say in this era of where you can buy a lower and have it engraved, it would be super cool to make a retro Mattel M16 A1, you know, market Mattel and all the rest of it, you know. That would be super cool. And uh, that would be actually a lot of fun to have. But um, you know, outside of just the boutique value and and novelty of that, Um, I don't think you'll see one but you could see one that some guy has you know that some crafty guy has has put together Um, and that would be a lot of fun actually that would actually be a lot of fun but no Mattel did not so that's that's where we kind of sit with all that all right next question are commercial receiver M1 rifles as good as the US GI ones well it depends what you mean by as good as when it come, They have no collector value, they have only value as a shooting rifle, um, and there are several different kinds of these. The ones to stay away from out of hand, and, and there are successful cop ones of these, are the ones that were welded together, where it was a demilitarized M1, and so they took the part of one, the part of another, kind of mated them together, welded them back together and got a functioning receiver. They call them rewelds, but reweld is a bad term because they were never welded in the first place. So they're not being rewelded; they're being reassembled um, and stuck together. That's kind of like buying a car that has a frame <laughs> that's been cut in half and and the frame from two different cars put together. Think of it like that. You you wouldn't really want that. Um, so that's the so that's the first one. And the the bad part of it is it's marked obviously like a USGI rifle because the the back end of the receiver is from a demilled USGI rifle so it's got the right markings, the right serial numbers and all the rest of it Uh, you actually have to look at drawing numbers and heat codes to make sure that you have uh, um, that you're squared away on that and that you don't have one of these so that's the that's the first thing I would say the um, stay away from those the next one is they made commercial century arms made commercial m1 rifles uh out of parts when when parts were plentiful and uh they used it's the receiver is very easy to see it has no receiver markings like the usgi one it's it's a it's a little blockier the angles are a little sharper on the back end so there's no real mistaking that for a usgi rifle although some people probably have i mean you can't you can't underestimate the mistakes people will make sometimes. Um, and those kind of rifles, Century has a bad reputation, but if they shoot, they shoot. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about that. It's purely a shooter, purely something that you have just because you like shooting an M1 rifle, not because it's a collectible. The next one were the Lithgo receiver rifles, which I understand worked fine. so. But they're marked Lithgo. Lithgow never made M1 receivers for the US military, they just made a commercial run. And uh, like the Century and like the um, later Springfield, commercial Springfield Armory Company receivers, they're all cast. If that makes a difference to you, it doesn't make a difference to me, but it makes a difference to some people. So uh, that when the Lithgow ones, they will work, they're, they're not very pretty, but they will work and the markings on them aren't very nice. Then we have Springfield Armory the Company. The latest ones they made were I think actually Lithgow receivers just marked Springfield Armory. Uh, again not very pretty, um, just not you know they're they're functional and they work but they're just not very pretty. The uh, other rifles that they made were very early back in the 80s before you could get M1 rifles through. The, C- the CMP didn't even exist then. You had to go through the DCM and it was a hard process and the M1 rifles that were available in the aftermarket were either the, quote, re-welds, quote unquote, or they were legit USGI rifles, and they were very expensive. So Springfield Armory used their technology they were using to make the M1A rifle, the clone of the M14, and they made a receiver, <clears throat> cast receiver. It looks just like an M1 rifle receiver. It's really good. Um, you know, it's, it was a really good receiver. It, the the tip-off is where it says Springfield Armory. There's a little registered mark for registered trademark. And the serial numbers are in the 7 million. So, and they made they made the, a service grade, a match grade, and they made an M1D. I've never seen the M1D. I've seen the national match one and I own one of the service grade ones because when I wanted an M1 rifle there were none about that I could afford so I bought one of these so I bought this rifle and it was uh, a really good shooter I haven't shot it in a while but it's a very good shooter great rifle it's just not USGI Um, I kinda kicked myself it it has a barrel on it that's it's not a I don't think it's a GI barrel but um, it might be it might be a Beretta or a Danish barrel but it's a it's a regular looks just like USGI rifle barrel and everything uh, but it doesn't have the markings back when M1 receivers were plentiful and cheap I thought about buying one having the receiver taken off it and having having all the parts put on another rifle I thought about doing that but I, I never did I I, um, I actually could have but I didn't so I still have it, I like it, it's not worth as much as a regular USGI M1 rifle, but it's a good rifle and uh, you know, for somebody who just wants to shoot an M1, it's a fun good rifle to have. Um, You know, I would not hesitate to buy one of those, but again, you know, if you're going to buy a US M1 rifle and you don't want to go through the CMP hoops. Um, you you have to know what you're buying you have to be very careful know what you're buying and know if you know uh, that you're not getting stuck that's uh, just the way it is um, you know everybody 20 years ago 25 years ago 30 years ago it was a whole different ball game with m1 rifles uh, there were still plenty of parts plenty of stocks plenty of a lot of things available nowadays hey the stocks are are um, there are a lot of repo stocks. Even the CMP sells them with repo stocks. They're just running after, you know, after 80 years of these things being out and around, they're they're running out of wooden stocks. And so there's a couple companies that make them and they're nice. There's some that are like USGI, you know, that style nice. And then there's some that are really nice just for a shooter that are really, really cool. They're like um, uh, laminate stocks and all that. And they look really, they look really great. But of course that's not USGI. So I would, um, I would definitely, um, not have a problem with one of those rifles as a shooter. And, and frankly, you know, I may just be at the point where I use that rifle more because it, it, Hey, if it wears, it wears whatever, you know, it, it is what it is. It doesn't have the collectability that, uh, you know, a USGI rifle would have. So that is what. The skinny that I know about them, and it does take the bayonets and all the other things. Um, if I was a vintage rifle competitor, which vintage rifles effectively dead now, um, you could build an M1D on one of these, um, or an M1C if you wanted to. You you could build one of those. It would be, and because there are repo scopes around and and. Uh, um, you know, you'd have to get the M1D barrel block, modify the stock a little. Bit. You know, you have to do the things that you need to do to get the uh, um, to get that all piece together. And a, a M1 gunsmith could probably do that very simply. But if I were a vintage sniper competitor, I would I'd probably build one of those because I think you can still get the uh, um, M84 scope for about you know, the um, the repo of the M84 scope, I think you can get that for under 500 bucks. so you'd have to check me on that. I, I've never really had much interest in those, but um, you can get that, or you could get the Weaver, you know, K4, which was, you know, something that was put on these rifles late in their, you know, service lives when they were actually mostly in storage. The interesting part about the M1D is, according to Scott Duff, and this has never been contradicted, but there were some M1Ds that went to Desert Storm. It, it seems that that would be just not the case, <laughs> but it was the case, and it's because hey, they had it in the um, in the arms room, and they get told to go. Hey, you you take that or you have nothing. Um, you know, a promise to get you something better is just a promise. You know, it's it's a lot of obsolete equipment. I <clears throat> I was in a unit that had. ANPRC-25s. They should have been replaced ages ago. Uh, they should have been replaced ages ago, but we still had them. Um, I was in a unit that had 1911s. We didn't turn those in until 1994, or 1995, I think 94. So, um, you know, the, a lot of old equipment, old M79s, um, another unit during a reorganization, transferred a bunch of equipment to me, and it was it had M79s, bloopers. You know, um, those were basically obsolete in the Vietnam War, thirty years before. Um, but we had them. You know, I mean, they, they were there. They're in the inventory. So there's a lot of old, even in the U.S. military, which you think of as the latest and greatest. There's always a lot of older equipment that's floating around um, that would surprise you. And the M1D was one. It went to Desert Storm. I don't know that it was actually ever used, but it went there, and that's that's enough. Um, and it must have been kind of a pain because you had to have, you know, 30-06 M1 or M2 ammunition for it. And, uh, you know, that that had to be a special special item that, that went. So, yeah, pretty pretty interesting. You know, one of the things... I'm going to do is I have an M1D and I have an M16 A2 clone. It's actually an AR15 A2 clone. It's semi-automatic, but it's got an early ACOG on it. Maybe, maybe it'd be interesting to shoot the two side by side and see which one is. <laughs> I assume the M1D will have the power and the. Uh, AR-15 would have the accuracy so maybe we don't need to do that but that would be very interesting because they're both about the same power Um, well not quite the the M1D has a 2.2 power scope and the ACOG is 4 power so so they're not quite equivalent They're, they're low power scopes but they're not equivalent but anyway that's it for this edition of Old School Guns the podcast that tells you exactly like it is And again, any questions or comments, K-B-M-A-K-E-L at AOL.com. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out.